Yeah, what an intense morning to do a podcast. <laughs> like I am thinking about it with you know, regardless of what we're talking about. Uh, it's but kind it's of good that we're doing election. this. <laughs> it's kind of good. It's a good distraction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, but I think uh, later on we'll have to podcast about elections as well and the outcomes and what it means for the world of politics, race and gender. This is all very uh, relevant topics. Okay, without further ado, I'd like to welcome everyone on the second episode of Let's Talk About It. Uh, I am could not I could not be more delighted to have such a strong uh, panel today. Uh, people that have extensive research um, on both uh, Borat on Kazakhstan on gender. Um, and uh, all these things, I think, are very important to have a balanced discussion that is based on analysis, based on research. Uh, so I'd like to first, uh, first introduce our panel, and then I think in that uh, sort of uh, order, we can talk about our own views and our own work that's been done around that area. Uh, first uh, of all, I am very happy to introduce uh, Professor Dr. Robert Sanders today. Uh, he is known as a boratologist uh, because of his extensive research on the topic of um, Sasha uh, Baron Cohen, and he wrote a book called Sasha Baron Cohen: uh, Many Faces of uh, Sasha Baron Cohen and uh, Politics Parody. Uh, and the battle over Borat. And I think it's still continuing, so I wonder if there will be a sequel to your book. <laughs> uh, Edward Lucas, we're very happy that he was able to um, come on today. He's one of the first strong voices in the West who uh, even tried to uh, criticize a little bit this movie over this racist uh, issues. And uh, he is the columnist at the Times and also a senior fellow at the Center for European Policy, uh, Policy Analysis, I'm sorry. Uh, he's the author of the article, uh, The Borat Films Are Hilarious for Some. And uh, he is also the author of many, many books on war, espionage, and history. Um, so this is very important, I think, right now to uh, keep this in mind that we live in a very turbulent times and do we need more questions of um, racism and uh, uh, politics involved as well. Uh, second, uh, third up is Aizada Aristanbek. Uh, she is one of the few voices from Kazakhstan today. She's based in Hungary and she's a gender uh, researcher. She has double major in uh, she's a master of sci uh, arts in uh, gender, uh, gender studies, and uh, most importantly, she's also doing research on uh, gender, uh, gendered nationalism, which you'll have to explain to the wider audience what that means and how uh, we will talk about it concerning to the Borat movie today. Uh, today, I'm also super happy to welcome uh, Dr. Megan Rancier, a friend of mine from a long time ago when she studied in Kazakhstan. And she has uh, gone um, uh, to achieve many things after that. <laughs> and 
Uh, her um, specific interest in Kazakhstan is the intersection of musical instruments, traditional and pop music, and uh, national identity narrative. Uh, she's also the author of, uh, co-author of the book, Turkic Soundscapes uh, from Shamanic to Hip Hop Music. And it's all available on Amazon. I <laughs> applaud uh, all our guests and uh, I urge our audience to go and check out their books because these are amazing gems that you won't find uh, just by browsing Barnes and Nobles, for example. Um, not that everyone is doing that anyways in the pandemic <laughs> situation. And um, last but not least, uh, our Wade Chanel, uh, he is women's rights champion and it's not his first time attending one of my podcast panels. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, we do have a lot of ground to cover today. So I would like uh, for uh, Dr. Sanders to start off with introducing us to the uh, different phases of uh, Sasha Baron Cohen and what it means for Kazakhstan uh, and uh, just that journey of where you find this movie to be offensive and how is best to address that. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, my my relationship with Sasha Baron Cohen began uh, in in the early two thousands after coming back from from Kazakhstan, where I'd uh, undertaken some some doctoral research, and and all of a sudden someone told me there's a guy pretending to be a Kazakh in Alabama, uh, <laughs> and it's on HBO, and you should watch it. Um, I, I myself grew up in, in the deep south, but later relocated to the New York metropolitan area. Uh, and I only bring that up because it is somewhat relevant to, I, I think, the first film. Um, so I started looking into it, kind of following it. And then in 2004, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen really distracted me from finishing that, that PhD when he hosted the MTV uh, Music Awards. And, and really at that point triggered uh, kind of the widespread ire of, uh, of the government of, of Kazakhstan, even though the, the controversy between him and, and Kazakhstan dates all the way back to, uh, to 2000 when the, the ambassador to, to the UK uh, made a formal complaint about about such Baron Cohen's uh, humor. Um, so I, I ended up finishing the PhD, but uh, but really kind of this this took over my life for a few years. And and with the 2006 with the with the premiere of the film, what I tried to do was was track and and try and understand from a geopolitical perspective how an individual comedian, a, a single person. Could, could basically trigger an international uh, dispute, a, a dispute in international relations over, over basically this, this comedy act that obviously he had taken on the road from, from the UK to the United States. And uh, then with the premiere of the film in 2006, doing these antics outside the, the, the embassy in, in Washington, DC. And so I, I worked uh, in, in many different ways or tried to, to approach the problem from many different ways, including interviewing Roman Vasilyenko, who at the time was in charge of kind of managing uh, Kazakhstan's image in the United States and particularly around the premiere of the film. Um, and then at the end of the day, trying to, to look at a, at a higher level and, and how is, is, is Kazakhstani national identity, you know, which in and of itself is a, is a very protean concept post 1991, 
how is that negotiated in an environment where you have this interloper, this Cambridge educated trickster going around and, and basically generating uh, 10 times the press that, that Kazakhstan was generating for any other reason? Um, and, and what sort of ramifications did that have in the moment? And, and then less so uh, over time, uh, what are the, the sort of longer term ramifications? And, and I thought myself that, that Borat was a thing of the past, uh, something that, that, that was left back in the, the mid 2000s and much to my chagrin learned uh, this year that in fact, uh, Borat was back uh, and with a vengeance in 2020, uh, tying himself to, to the American election, which uh, happened to take place uh, Yesterday, much of it, uh, it's taking place still as an ongoing process. Um, so I'd, I'd be happy at, uh, you know, if there's interest to, to talk about some of that, uh, that involvement uh, as well. Um, but I know certainly we're here to talk about uh, issues of racism and, and, and portrayal and representation and, and those things. And I'm certainly happy to, to, to chat about as well. Uh, right. Um, I think uh, Edward Lucas would like to um, join in and, and uh, say a few words, I think, about his work as well as maybe to respond to some of the things that you mentioned, because he happened to live in the UK as well. Well, thanks very much, Anna, and it's a privilege to be on this panel, and I think it's heroic of you to try and seize world attention um, on a day when people are distracted with uh, with other stuff, but I've just tweeted this and I hope that uh, some people will tune in to see what a, a, a real political discussion looks like rather than the sort of mudslinging we're seeing on, on Twitter right now. Um, I'm, I'm in an opposition here because I've never been to Kazakhstan. Uh, I lived in the Soviet Union. I was a Moscow bureau chief for The Economist but some, and travelled all over the place, but somehow I never made it to Kazakhstan. Um, and so I defer to the Kazakhs on this panel and generally um, when it comes to the way in which um, this, both these films have insulted and distorted um, Kazakhs and the Kazakh sort of image in the world. But the thing that really strikes me about Borat is that it's not really about Kazakhstan at all. It's not about Kazakhstan in the sense that it's all made up, but even what he's making up isn't really to do with Kazakhstan. Um, his idea of Kazakhstan is a sort of generic stereotype of the region we used to call Eastern Europe. So he speaks a little bit of Polish. He says, Yakshamash and Dziękuję, which are two Polish words. Um, the village in which Borat supposedly comes from is actually a Romanian uh, village. The anti-Semitic stereotypes are very deeply rooted in the public perception of Eastern Europe. His, uh, the, uh, the, uh, and, and also the, the accent is far more, I think, a, a kind of a sort of cod stage east european accent than um it is from from, from from central asia and i think that's interesting because it shows that there is something to caricature about eastern europe um which perhaps would be harder the, the, the only thing people know about kazakhstan is that they don't know anything about it um so it's a kind of terra incognita tabula rasa uh, whereas with eastern europe there are stereotypes there which you can play on and they're quite deeply rooted. So in the United States, for example, for decades, um, there were Polish jokes, uh, just like we used to have Irish jokes in the United Kingdom. M many countries have um, a region or a neighbour that they make fun of as the sort of the stupid people. And in, um, in America, it was, it was the, po the Poles. And this stopped dead in 1999 when Ted Turner, 
the proprietor of um, CNN and Time magazine and other media outlets, was asked something about the um, the Vatican had pushed back against something he'd done, and it was a Polish pope then. And he made a kind of casual racist Polish joke, saying, "Has anyone you, you you guys all know about the Polish mind detector?" He said, and then hopped around on one leg, giving the idea that Poles are so stupid they detect minds by walking around, and that's why Polish mind detect would only have one leg. Now, this would have been completely um, unremarkable in previous decades because you know, Poland wasn't able to defend itself. It was under communist occupation. The, um, you know, there, was no, um, there was no real pushback. But this time, the Polish deputy foreign minister, Radek Sikorski, complained, and he pointed out that Poland was about to spend many millions of pounds on a big brand advertising campaign in Time magazine. And he said, Mr. Turner, if you don't want our money, we'll take it elsewhere. And that was a sign that Poland is a big country was able to push back. And I think that was basically the end of anti-Polish jokes in North America. I yearn for the day, obviously, when that will, um, the, uh, Kazakhstan, although not as big as Poland, um, but still a, a big country um, by regional standards, will be, able to, will be able to exert the same sort of clout. So I think that the, the acceptability of individual stereotyping of East European countries is now, um, it, it, it was mainly hung on the idea that, that Poles were stupid and also maybe Poles were anti-Semitic or other, other, other stereotypes. Um, but that's really gone now. It's, it's, it's hard to say about Poland. Um, and the probably wasn't enough in the other countries to be, to, to, to be the kind of the fuel for uh, ethnic jokes. Uh, and in a way I see, although it's very offensive to the East Europeans, to have Borat um, coming out with all this stuff about celebrating Holocaust Day and and and, and you know, chauvinism and racism and so on, in a way, it's a kind of last hurrah. I think that in 10, 15 years' time, even that won't be possible. The tide of history is moving against this because the East European region is dynamic. It's economically successful. It's actually had pretty good pandemic compared with some of the West European countries. Um, it has strong democratic institutions. And the whole idea of East European backwardness is rooted in um, perhaps perceptions of the 70s and 80s and early 90s, um, which are now out of date. And these days when people go to Tallinn, Riga, Vilnius, Warsaw, Prague, Budapest, other, other cities, they don't think I'm going to backward Eastern Europe. Do I need to take dollars? I better take boots because it's going to be very dirty and muddy. They just think I'm going to... Um, one of these cities are going, going on, on holiday on a business trip. And the whole idea that it really matters if you're under communism or not has gone. So I think the East-West divide is closing. It's out of date. We almost don't talk about Eastern Europe anymore. Um, this is a sign of um, Sasha Barrett Cohen's generation, I think, that he still thinks it's funny. It may be a sign of the generation of people who watch the film as well. Um, but it's increasingly irrelevant. And I yearn for the day when that tide um, of irrelevance spreads further east and that um, Kazakhstan, poor, innocent, suffering, guiltless Kazakhstan um, is no longer the collateral damage uh, to this legacy of out-of-date, um, supposedly humorous tropes and memes. Yes, thank you so much, Edward. I think it's very timely what you were saying about the, the Polish jokes. And I was just remembering my own upbringing in the Soviet Union. Um, and uh, I think uh, some of these countries, they never win with any sides because in the Soviet Union, the Polish 
the Hungary and the uh, Lithuania, Latvia, they were always also considered as more of an enemy rather than friend because they were closer to the Europe and they had this values for democracy more so than uh, if you were in the union itself. So I, I feel bad for some of these countries where they never really in the league, not with Russia and not with the West. So that is pretty sad. And I think um, I would like to give the back to Aizada because uh, she is actually based in Hungary right now for one. And secondly, um, um, she can also tell us about how the official uh, Kazakhstan has, um, I, I don't know, it's controversial because New York Times says that official Kazakhstan embraced the um, the Borat uh, movie and they're using it to attract tourism through this uh, video that is uh, based on the word that Borat uses a lot, uh, which is Kazakhstan, very nice. And the video has some real great places of Kazakhstan and uh, even the tourists drinking not horse urine, horse milk, and enjoying it. Uh, but uh, I think there is a controversy because, the, first of all, this video was made by a, a semi-commercial part of the Minister of Tourism. And then later on in some Russian uh, sites of news, we saw the statement by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs saying that uh, the movie is based on racism and xenophobia. So I don't have the final answer on that, but uh, we can talk to Aizada because she's the author of uh, the article, uh, Borat is profiting from the Kazakhstan's names and we don't. And she is very knowledgeable about all the real issues Kazakhstan is experiencing, especially around gender. And I know that like, for example, for me, I was uh, so disgusted by the movie, mostly for the fact that I'm a woman rather than I'm a Kazakh. So um, I would like to give the floor to Aizada and you could you know, give us uh, your opinion and sort of analysis of what's happening right now. Okay, hello. Uh, thank you for having me, Anar, first of all. Um, can everyone hear me fine? Yes. Okay, perfect. Well, um, there is so much to unpack. I have like two pages worth of notes <laughs> that they made for this. But actually going back to what Edward was talking about, I, when I was reading a lot of critique about Borat, um, what I noticed is that people were actually centering, they were, they were either pigeonholing Kazakhstan and Central Asia with Eastern Europe a lot or they would do it, uh, they would um, rem uh, remember the Muslim identity of uh, many ethnic Kazakhs and they would sort of try to like focus on that and the connections with like Middle East and everything. And I, I found it um, almost kind of um, sad and disappointing in a sense that Central Asia, it's a very specific region. It is like both like predominantly Muslim, it shares like historic past of Eastern Europe, but it's also like specific in its historical context in the sense that it was way more orientalized in the Soviet Union than any other part because it served as an orient of the Soviet Union. And uh, it's like the region, especially like Kazakhstan, it served as a place where people would go like to serve in gulags, to repress uh, repressions and everything. So it's a very, um, 
like I was very grateful that some people, like a lot of people were able to discern the way uh, Borat plays on all the stereotypes, but it would treat me when all they would say that, oh, it's just uh, Eastern European stereotypes, or it's just about the Muslim identities when it's all together. And uh, it's definitely a specific position of Central Asia that deserves to be like more uh, like defined and acknowledged, especially if you're critiquing what Sasha Baron Cohen is doing. And um, regarding the also at the Kazakhstan's pushback to uh, the movie, actually the I don't know if anyone everyone has seen this, but uh, the video itself is very funny to me because it's basically like uh, a lot of uh, people, like white people, I, I assume from the states. Uh, going around and being like very surprised that life exists in Kazakhstan <laughs> and they're like oh wow people are walking around very nice <laughs> so but um, it's definitely been um, our like um, I've seen a lot of people on social media from Kazakhstan posting and blaming the government they're saying like the government should take a stand they should protect us our reputation they should like go out there and like make the statement that this is not okay, which is a um, fair, fair thing to ask, but um, the level of protection that the government offers is a whole another question. But I think uh, the position of Kazakhstan is also unique because of like its geopolitical location, of course, like, um, like squished between Russia and China, our ties with, uh, with the US are very important. Like Nazarbayev is like famously constantly visiting presidents. Like he has built like this, like very good, like diplomatic relationship with the country. So I doubt that like they're gonna try and somehow undermine it now, especially now that like the power has been transitioned from Nazarbayev to Tokayev. And anything, that can go wrong, like Kazakhstan will need any allies it can get, especially with like the situation is China in concentration camps, etc. So it's definitely a tricky situation. And I think it's gonna be like, um, it puts Kazakhstan in a very, very peculiar place where from which I doubt that any serious pushback will ever happen as it did, for example, with Poland in, in, in Edward's story. Um, that's a whole another thing. Um, in regarding to feminism and everything, I was actually uh, someone, I talked to someone who is also from Kazakhstan who writes a lot about like analytical articles and they were saying, oh, Borat did a lot for feminism in Kazakhstan. And I- um, <laughs> I wonder what. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like, oh, how? And apparently because it um, brings up all these topics because uh, in the second movie, he keeps his daughter in a golden cage and then she doesn't uh, she doesn't apparently know that women can drive although it is legal for women to drive in Kazakhstan and then she doesn't know that like so many things that women can do um and then in the first movie like there was also like a lot of things like um unnecessary killing of his wife off screen that's also like but I found it very uh like um, the movie itself, if we take away the Kazakhstan part, I found it very weak in terms of its like feminist agenda, because it's supposed to be this uh, like, yes, like mirror to uh, American society. But actually, I believe that at this point, we're past the feminism, especially in the States, the feminism that says that women cannot drive, that women cannot do this and that. We're actually 
like uh, the wave of feminism we're having now is that it, it's inter inter intersectionality. It's about like how women also participate in oppressions, how like all this mechanism like race and class uh, and other privileges come together and how like feminism and, and women are not, uh, women are not excluded from abusing power, etc. Et so I felt like his him just saying that all oh, like women can drive and like we should all like be uh, like supporting women when they wanna like go to work or something. It was such a weak point and like it showed me because um, generally it showed me like a weak point of like the wokeness that Sasha Baron Cohen wanted to exhibit. I felt like it was outdated and it, it worked very well in 2006 because it was a diff, very different political climate. But today it felt like a very uh, weak brand of feminism. And if we think about it for Kazakhstan where women, like, like I said, also can drive, but it's, it's kind, it feels um, very, I don't know, naive to me to assign to this man who has never been to Kazakhstan, who has never... Uh, actually cared about issues of feminism in Kazakhstan to assign him a role of bringing force the like to the feminist issues in our country when feminist activists here have been doing this for decades and uh, have like remained unacknowledged and also um, coming back to the stereotypes of Eastern Europe I actually believe that Sasha Baron Cohen did do research on Central Asia and Kazakhstan because some of the things that he did in the first movie specifically were specifically Central Asian traditions the first one is bread kidnapping and the second one is the showing of the uh, like virginal blood on the on the cloths because those are like notoriously um, used to be like an ethnic tradition of Central Asia and he used them specifically to show like the backwardness of, of Borat and etc. So I think it also does like while some people say like oh it's about I don't know Eastern Europe or it's about this and that he did also make a point to include some Central Asian attributes and it led to some things like like New York Post once published an article about a serious real life bread kidnapping. So it was a real life violence, but they said, oh, Borat style bread kidnapping. So it's uh, it definitely leads to this kind of like erasure of the seriousness and the violence that happens. Um, right. I agree with that point, especially because it's um, we we should stop calling it tradition. That's what we've vote as, as we stand as women in our countries not only women but also i think men the fathers of the daughters that have been kidnapped uh, and say this is crime and this is exactly how it's perceived in most of kazakhstan and there are other countries that have a little bit less uh, criminal justice system helping them However, that's the standpoint where we uh, come as a society where we don't really acknowledge that as a tradition anymore. So showing it as a tradition in the movie, it really um, puts us back a lot and sets us back, sets our progress back. And I think that that's why there is such a big pushback against the movie, especially among the Kazakh, uh, Kazakh immigrants worldwide, because um, there are certain reasons, you know, why we leave, and sometimes it's not related to that. But there's still all these cultural things that uh, we are trying to change. Um, and um, 
And this is very important, I think, from the standpoint of feminism in the US as well, and I would like uh, Megan and Wade to jump in there, is the self-congratulatory state of, wow, women in the US made it. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're, you're really having all the rights and everything. And like I said, I was saying that our perspective uh, outside uh, is that they, you know, the women are in power. Now there, there are questions of abusing power. However, we're still talking about equal pay. We're still talking about paid maternity leave. Uh, there are all these questions that have been completely erased from the picture. And uh, in my personal opinion, it sets uh, our progress back. Uh, however, uh, you know, Megan and Wade could chip in there in terms of the, uh, what do you think about the feminism and uh, is he really helping in this movie? Well, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I think Aiza is absolutely right when she mentions um, the fact I, I like the way that she put it uh the fact that it, the the points that borat is, is the movies are trying to make or that sasha baron cohen appears to be trying to make about feminism um are you know decades too late because uh we're already in this third wave of feminism where it is very much about intersectionality as as aiza said um and you know i think it is interesting because as you pointed out anar there are so many uh, things that are still wrong with gender relations in the United States, um, gender equity, um, not only between, you know, men and women or biological men and women, but then we also have issues of, you know, um, transgender people. We have issues of gender that go into issues of sexuality and how people um, are treated differently based on sexuality and uh, gender, not just biological sex. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure what else I can add to that, except to agree with the point that Aiza made. Um, I certainly don't think the Borat movies advance the feminist agenda <laughs> um, at all, even though, I, and I was, I actually watched the film and I, I remember thinking, you know, it has this very bland message at the end that like women can do it too everyone. Um, and that almost shouldn't have to be said. Uh, and I think uh, the point was already made that even the people that the Borat character is trying to satirize in the United States, like they, they were saying things like, oh, yeah, women can do it too. It's no big deal. Um, although I will say that there were a few good um, critiques made in the portrayal, because as I, as I mentioned, we still have these big problems grounded in sexism and rooted in sexism. Anar, you already mentioned, you know, equal pay, but there are more social and cultural expressions of this continuing sexism that we still need to work on. I mean, there is still a lot of work to be done. So when you see, for example, the scene uh, with the debutante ball, um, this, <laughs> speaking of um, bride kidnapping and uh, things like that, I would almost compare it to the American version of this because here you have these teenage girls essentially being paraded around uh, for men in the community, men their same age as well as, you know, uh, their fathers, and essentially being um, uh, not 
not auctioned off, but displayed as prospective brides. Um, they are dressed very, you know, decoratively as if they are to be displayed as decorative items. Uh, there is definitely the issue of objectification here. Um, and even when uh, Borat speaks to the father of one of these uh, women's and, and obviously this is in character, so this is satire. And he says, well, how much do you think my daughter would be worth? And the guy's almost without missing a beat says $500. Um, so I think it does reveal some very disturbing continuing trends in the perception of women in the United States. Um, I wouldn't say, however, that it necessarily advances any kind of feminist agenda. It just sort of um, reveals the ugly face of continuing trends of sexism in the United States. Yeah, I agree. And I'd like <clears throat> to add more, especially this um, uh, one of the shows uh, that where Sasha uh, Baron Cohen comes together with um, Maria um, Stakanova, who is the who plays the daughter in the movie. And he is acting just like the father in the movie uh, was acting. He was this main lead, the producer, and she's just there. And even the host of the show says, oh, you know, you can chime in after uh, Sasha is done. Uh, and she just says one, two words, and then she's back. So you can see as if she is this um, prop that he's using for the movie and he showed her she said a couple of words that also led to saying that oh let's you know let's celebrate uh, Mr. Cohen for making me feel very safe the whole time mm. I mean <laughs> she's a very strong woman I'm pretty sure she would figure out something in the situation but that all of that portrayal and even the way she's acting is very, very Central Asian to me. Even like I was looking at it and I was so surprised to see that. Um, so it's just coming into real life and who knows if she wins Oscar, I'd be applauding, but I feel like she might not be the one because I'm sure Sasha would like an Oscar or two as well. <laughs> so um, I think, um, we can continue the discussion in this realm. And if Wade wants to add, uh, you know, we can talk about that. And then I think I'd like to return the conversation to Dr. Sanders because he has some interesting anecdotes to share, I think, about the movie and uh, the character. Well, I think like the rest of um, this panel, I've wrestled a bit with this movie. Um, I have a a wide ranging sense of humor. I have um, a fairly irreverent sense of humor, but this one does take me far beyond my limits on a number of things. Um, so, you know, but that's a movie critique from the, from the feminist angle. It's interesting. I, you know, really appreciate Aisha's comments and Megan's comments about, you know, this is a little outdated on what it's doing. I tried to look at, okay, what's the story? So we have this fictional character. I wish they'd used a fictional country, but you'd never be able to convince people to have interviews on camera if they found out it wasn't a real country. So, so they take Kazakhstan as a prop um, and a fictional character. The story is of a man who does not value his daughter nearly as much as his sons, uh, sees her, the best he can do for her is get her life in a nice, 
a nice cage. Marriage is a cage for a woman. And he's just, he's, you know, he's turning into a better fa father. So he'll give her a better cage along the way. He doesn't see her as having rights or, or, or anything uh, even close to that. And along the journey through the U.S. while exposing some of our, um, some of our idiosyncrasies and sometimes hypocrisies, he comes to see that she is indeed valuable, that she's worthwhile as a human, um, that she is um, uh, perhaps even equal. Uh, well, I would say equal, you know, his closing on how much he loves her um, is, is very nice uh, to quote him. But the message of, of this, of marriage as the cage, women uh, without sufficient rights, abilities, et cetera, being discriminated against, um, I think for many people get, will, will be lost. Um, I do think it's far more relevant than we want to admit, even today. Uh, you know, the US, we've come a long way, and yet I have, I'm from the Deep South. Many of my, my folks believe that a woman's place is in the home. I've even had one say to me, as the Bible says, a woman's place is in the home. Well, the Bible actually doesn't say that anywhere. It's never stated. Uh, <laughs> but that's the cage. That's Betty Friedan's feminine mystique cage of these women who made it and had supposedly what was the great life. And it was not a great life. It was a cage. So I do think it's there. I, you know, we see it. I work in developing countries primarily. I've never made it to Kazakhstan. I've made it on either side of Kazakhstan, but never there itself. Uh, but we do know of laws that prohibit women from traveling on their own, from, from drive, maybe not so much driving a car, but maybe driving a car by themselves. Um, the, the role of men as giving permission for women to enter into business, to take a job, to go to another city, to travel outside the country, where children belong to the man in the event of a divorce. Um, you know, we are far from equality in the world, and we are... Part of what we wrestle with is what I like to call a, a culture or a continuum of denigration and disrespect. And at one end, we have Harvey Weinstein and the We Too, we, sorry, I'm mixing up something else, the, the, the Me Too movement. Um, that's an extreme. Most of us men can say very honestly and very correctly, I'm not Harvey Weinstein. I don't do that. But can we say at the other end of what a friend called, described to me as death by a thousand paper cuts through a lifetime of denigration and disrespect and being ignored, et cetera. Um, jokes, um, I, certainly I can recall and do not use any longer, but at a certain point in my life, both the ethnic jokes that I grew up with in grammar school, um, I remember the landmine joke and the uh, sexist jokes that I grew up with. You know, there's this entire continuum of denigration. And I think if Borat does anything, if it exposes that, if it asks some of us to question the cage, the devaluation, et cetera, great. I'm not sure it succeeds. And, it, and I think part of the reason it doesn't succeed is um, it's overly provocative. Um, I think, you know, menstrual health is a very important issue. Um, that particular debutante dance is just too much for very many of us. Um, it, I, I compare it, um, I compare it in, in an odd way to a, a movie from years ago, Natural Born Killers. If you saw that movie, it is a critique of the use by media of 
people's pain, suffering, and, and crimes as a form of entertainment. That's what the movie says. We are seeing murder as entertainment, and that's how we're presenting it. And in that level, it was really quite a brilliant critique, but it didn't quite get there because it maybe, uh, and here's why, there were, there were people who saw it and saw this guy is cool, this natural born killer. And two of them walked into their high school in Columbine, Colorado one day and killed a number of their classmates and each others trying to be as cool as Woody Harrelson was in that movie. Something broke down there. The critique did not go well enough. And I just don't know that, that, that Sasha Cohen pushes the ball over the line um, in trying to shock us into realizing our hypocrisies, our ongoing prejudices, um, et cetera. It's, um, I like this, the basic storyline there. Um, it's, a, it's a rough ride along the way. But uh, I, I do th think, unfortunately, so much of what we're saying is past in the US um, is not fully past. And in the rest of the world, this, this idea of you know, selling, your, selling your daughter, we find that in, uh, in poverty issues where when, when things get worse, they find a husband for their daughter to get this economic cost off of the balance sheet. Um, there's still a lot of this around. Those groups are not gonna be watching this movie, however. So I don't know that it, it advances the cause very much. Right, I agree. I think the very important thing that um, we, should, we can take away is that um, not everyone got the message. Mm -hmm. So there is a hidden message in the movie and people don't get it. That's why we see harassment and bullying and other things still continuing on. And creating content for the ignorant is um, uh, is evil if you're educated, in my opinion. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I think. And that's uh, Robert. I, uh, yeah, Isa, you would like to say something. Yeah, because yeah. I, I just wanted to comment on the um, the general storyline that he goes um, he goes to the state Borat, and then like he realizes the value of his daughter and he loves her and everything. For me, as a Central Asian woman, as a Kazakhstani woman, this plotline was sort of trite in a way that like I've seen it um, many times of how like being only by being exposed to Western culture can someone understand the backwardness of their own ways, which is a very dangerous narrative to put out there. It's, um, it, it's, it, it once again juxtaposes the developed West and the developing countries, which is like, I don't like to call them developing. I, I call them recovering from years and years of colonialism and imperialism. And, um, and so for me, it was, cause like, I don't know, um, my father didn't need to go to the States to realize that I have value <laughs> uh, along with his son, my brother. And I feel like, um, while I understand and I, I deeply understand because I study the problems of like gender inequality in Kazakhstan and Central Asia, like um, I feel like, I don't know, like Kazakhstani women are a bit tired of like seeing this, that like being only by being in the West, you can learn about your rights, you can empower yourself, etc. We are um, sort of right now involved in building our own kind of like feminism and activism and um, fighting for our rights on our own terms. 
that would not uh, involve a lot of um, imported notions of like how this activism and feminism should look like from uh, like specifically yes from like western institutions etc <clears throat> so for me that storyline it was just so resembling of like so many things i've seen before where it's like always like, like a cinderella sort of... almost <laughs> the yeah. fairy godmother coming in for the rescue <laughs> yeah especially because um because Sasha Baron Cohen, when he was asked, he said, like, Kazakhstan is a great country. So, like, he didn't even uh, make a point to say that, like, oh, like, I wanted to critique that because the situation there is this and this and this. And I and I show this by doing this. He, like, distanced himself. He put a very clear distance for, I don't know, for political reasons or um, not to get cancelled. <laughs> but he definitely said that, like, oh, Kazakhstan is a great country. So, like... Uh, he showed that like there wasn't an intention to like expose like this like um, tendency that like true a lot of like Kazakhstani men have where they don't value their daughters and they see them as only as sort of like a cattle to marry away. Um, but that wasn't even Sasha Baron Cohen's purpose to show that to critique that in itself. But then even though it, this plotline did happen to anyone in our countries, I feel like it was well not everyone can afford to send their fathers to the states so for me it was um i i understood i understood the sentiment and the idea behind that but it wasn't something that i necessarily was impressed with or appreciated i agree with that and i just want to add a couple of um news lines i think because i just saw on asatuk um radio uh, I think a group of five women were so enraged by the political oppressions happening around the country uh, that they shaved off their heads and uh, they made it uh, public. And I think if um, we're talking about women rights and feminism, but here these are the women who stood up for the whole country. They didn't stand up for only women's rights. They are um, activists and uh, they're changing something in the political environment um, as women. So uh, saying that, you know, we need to learn feminism from the U.S. Uh, might be a bit of a stretch, like Isa was mentioning, because the bravery uh, is there and uh, it's just not always uh, been... Uh, exposed and, and been seen because a lot of times uh, they are, um, well, first of all, they don't get enough coverage for one. And secondly, there were times they were very happy with uh, the way things were because like Isa was saying that everyone is marrying off their daughters and seeing them as objects. Uh, if anything, there is always this celebration of um, of your daughter's uh, wedding. That's why we have two weddings where the parents of the daughter is feeling obligated to do this huge event for her to show that they are also are wealthy. <laughs> well, that's another completely topic. That's probably you know one of the things that I would critique about uh, the people, the grotesqueness and the trying to show off kind of things. But that's a completely different story. Um, so, but going back to using the nation as a prop, I think uh, this is the kind of 
thing that we would like to avoid during turbulent times and uh, being an outcast uh, as a Kazakh immigrant is uh, certainly hard, uh, especially when uh, the country is so unknown and uh, the national identity, uh, like Isa was saying, is the in a recovery state. And uh, I think uh, a lot of um, our professors here, uh, Sanders and uh, Rance here would agree with that, uh, you know, that this is a crucial moment to be supportive of a new emerging country that is um, lying right between China and Russia. Yeah, if, if I could jump in, um, I want to pick up on uh, Edward's point and, and problematize it a, a little bit uh, because in the, the, the work I did around, uh, around the representation and other representations of the, the former Soviet Union, especially, but, but post-socialist Eastern European countries as well, um, I, I know Edward said, well, the, the stigma is kind of gone and now these are just cities that you go to and using Budapest and, and Tallinn as, as, as specific examples. And, and I agree with that to some standpoint, but to, to, to connect the issue to, to gender, um, for those in Britain in particular, but also other countries, uh, the Netherlands uh, as well, these cities basically evolved into the places where you go for stag and hen parties. I mean, they, they were uh, in the 2000s and into the 2010s, and I would say to some extent, even into the next decade, extremely sexualized. Right? These are places where one goes to behave badly. Um, and, and in my time, spending time in, in, in Budapest, you just had to avoid uh, certain types of tourists that are wandering around and, and, and basically enjoying themselves. And so for me, this is, uh, e even though we don't tell Polish jokes anymore in, in the United States, and I don't know if it's simply because of, of Ted Turner's one badly timed Polish joke, um, th there is a constant evolution in, in how we do things, how we talk about things. Now, Kazakhstan, is, is, as I've said before, Kazakhstan wasn't the place where Sasha Baron Cohen started with the skit. He started the skit uh, talking about being from Moldova. And then later on, he became Christo from, from Albania. And we still have video of him being an Eastern European. He ultimately moved it, moved it to Kazakhstan. Um, and he could have picked an, another country, could have picked Tajikistan or Turkmenistan just as easily, but he didn't. Um, and, and to go back into that point of, of representation, um, Kazakhstan was, was very interested in how it was perceived, uh, particularly in London, particularly in Washington and other places. And so um, it, it, it created a, an interesting sort of dynamic. But to, to Edward's point, this really is, it was a joke about these Eastern European uh, stereotypes. Occasionally we see, uh, as you point out, the bride kidnapping, uh, making its way into the finale of the first film. Um, there were some specific things about Kazakhstan that made their way into this book that he subsequently published about touristic guidings. Um, and, and then we see kind of uh, in, in this most recent movie, we see this kind of marriage of these two tropes that, that I talk about in my research. So one is the, the, the post-Soviet bogeyman. This is the, the evil KGB general or the businessman oligarch or, um, who's out to destroy the West. So we see that and we saw that in the 1990s movies and the 2000s movie. And then we see the, the post-Soviet buffoon of which Borat is certainly the most dramatic example. And in the end of the film, 
these two things are, are married together, right? The Kazakhstan is the source of the, of the COVID virus, right? With this nefarious character uh, in the form of the president spreading it around the world. So I, I, I don't think that we're totally beyond the, those representations. And, and I wanna raise to, to, the, to the audience uh, or to the, to the other participants, you know, why aren't we? And the only thing that, that I would postulate as, a, as an example is neoliberalism, right? Why, you know, why is this place, this space, post -so this post-Soviet world, something to laugh at, right? And, and something to fear. And I talked about it with the first film and, and we can talk about it with this film, um, but there's, there's profit to be made here, right? And, and, and I, I think we shouldn't ignore that, particularly in the context of, the, of, of what, what's the purpose for this film? Why is this film out now, right? Uh, and why is it on Amazon Prime, which happens to be a property of Jeff Bezos, who happens to be basically enemy number one of, well, amongst many other enemies, enemy number one of, uh, of uh, President Trump. So I don't think we should lose sight of the big picture, even though all of this, this damage that has been done uh, to Kazakhstan's national, uh, national image in the process. But the last thing I'll say, and I just back again, I'm picking on Edward again. Uh, you said that uh, people don't know about uh, Kazakhstan. Um, after the movie, I did a little, uh, a little test with my students, uh, basically second years in geography classes. And I asked them to write down 10 things they knew about Kazakhstan and 10 things they knew about Austria because the next film was, was the Bruno film, which uh, Sacha Baron Cohen plays an Austrian. They always got more right about the real Republic of Kazakhstan than they got about Austria. So I, I, it's a generational thing, right? I, I definitely take that. So I, I think in this world where we're just barraged by images from all around, we need to remember that what's in the history books, right? is not often the go-to information source for young people today. So, I mean, it really is important, these, these types of representations, but, but they're not always, they don't always have the, uh, the, the negative impact or the negative ramifications that we think they do, or that may not be all they have. They actually have other, they, they play into other factors as well. Well, shall I respond um, to that? And I, I, I should say that I, th I think it, there's a, there's a, one has to distinguish between elite perceptions and mass perceptions. And I think it may be, I can't prove this, one would need to interview Baron Cohen himself, but it may be that the Kazakh government's very expensive um, attempts to build the Kazakh brand in the noughties um, involving very, I mean, I think rather absurd and sort of over the top uh, advertising in newspapers and magazines and, and so on, that this possibly caught Baron Cohen's attention and that, you know, a country like you know, Tajikistan or, or um, Kyrgyzstan, which is from, a, uh, from, from his Orientalist point of view, just as absurd and backward, um, it didn't feature because they hadn't tried to, as it were, defend themselves to put themselves on the map. So it may be that the, um, in Baron Cohen's world, Kazakhstan was the author of its own misfortune by trying to be noticed. I have to say, I, I mean, you probably have much more impressive um, uh, school pupils, uh, school students than, than I've come across. I, mm -hmm. I, I was offering to give a talk at a, our neighbor, the school just down the end of the road on why Borat isn't funny. And the head teacher said, the trouble is no one in this school have seen Borat and no one will have any idea what, where Kazakhstan is and you'd be wasting your time. So I, I took that as a, as a, as a sign of, uh, as a sort of uh, bit of uh, 
geopolitical triangulation. Mm. Um, I think that possibly since the, the first film, that things may have, may have changed a bit. Um, I want to push back a bit on two other things. First of all, I, just because there's a dot on the map doesn't mean it should be joined up into the big picture. I don't think there's anything significant about this being on Amazon Prime as opposed to being on Netflix or on any other of the big streaming platforms. That's just the way you do films these days. And I think if it wasn't for the pandemic, it might well be that it would be going into movie theatres in the normal way. There's a very simple reason why Baron Cohen does this. It makes lots of money. Um, and he would argue people laugh and um, I make money, and that's uh, and that that's nothing to do with neoliberalism. That's just the way the entertainment business has been working since the days of music hall. Um, I think on the, um, the the question of the sexualization of Eastern Europe, I think that the, there's always been a tendency to um, sexualize foreign travel. Mm -hmm. um, and that goes back to sort of very uh, you know, early Orientalist stereotypes. But in the 60s, it was Hamburg. Um, then it was Stockholm and Sweden. And if you look back at the history of these sort of what we used to call skin flicks, these sort of cheap, you know, cheap erotic um, uh, pornographic um, films, um, there was a they had um, the sort of caricature name was Danish dentist on the job because in those days Denmark was seen as the epitome of um, sexual sexual license and and availability. I don't think anyone would understand now why on earth when anyone say Danish dentist on the job. This is like, like profoundly. I mean, why not say Belgian dentist on the job or you know Mexican dentist on the job? That that stereotype has exploded. There was, I think, a brief period when there was um, there was a kind of sex tourism in Eastern Europe. I would say that's that's largely gone now. It was never a, as nearly as big a deal as people thought. If you looked at the numbers, and I've talked to the tourism authorities in Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Czech, Slovakia, and so on, it was a nuisance. The externalities were quite big because it mucked up the city centre. But as a, as a share of the total tourist traffic, it was barely measurable. It was just because it was geographically very concentrated. Mm. It, made, it made an impact. Um, so I think that the, and I think also as the um, income levels rise, the idea that this is where you go for cheap drink and cheap sex um, starts evaporating or it, move, you know, it moves further east or to further south or to places that are a bit poorer. So I think there was a kind of phase of that. But I would strongly argue now that the um, it, whether you're looking in, in terms of a modernity gradient, a democracy gradient, a social mores gradient, any other sort of um, gradient that used to be a sort of clear east-west divide, it doesn't make sense anymore. You know, it's just as much north-south as it's east-west, and sometimes the north is worse than the south, and the west is worse than the east. Um, so I, I, I think, I mean, I, I strongly believe we're, we're over that now. And um, I, I think that stops pretty much at the sort of Baltic-Russian border. It's going to take some time before we get the same shifts um, in the countries further east because you've got a serious democracy problem, as we're seeing in Belarus right now, and those um, incomes are seriously low. Moldova is genuinely the poorest country in Europe. That's not stereotyping. Um, but I still think that the progress um, is, you know, or the, the change is, is fairly um, inexorable. And um, so my best advice to my dear Kazakh friends is that you will have the last laugh. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I think uh, Megan wanted to add uh, some things about the music. Uh, and I'd like to give the floor to Megan. Thank you, Anar. And uh, yeah, just to muddy the waters even further. And I've I just have to say, I have so appreciated the conversation up to this point. It's really interesting to hear everybody's perspectives. But um, 
And I, I think we can all recognize the fact that, you know, we know that the Borat films are supposed to be satire, uh, although Anar, as you pointed out, it's not always clear that the viewers are getting that satirical message. Um, and, you know, they are intended to be critiques of American racism, American sexism, um, when in fact, both the US and Kazakhstan, let's be honest, have, you know, problems with sexism, racism, xenophobia, um, including anti-Semitism. Um, However, as I think we have already acknowledged, using this device of a character who is ostensibly from Kazakhstan really muddies the impact uh, and effectiveness of that satirical message because there's all of this confused representation. And so to add a layer to that confused representation, we have the music of the film. Um, and just as I believe Edward pointed out that um, the village uh, Borat's village, right, is actually located in Romania. Uh, the music used for the film is, in fact, um, Balkan Roma, for the most part, brass band uh, music. And so the, the music soundtrack to both films, not just one, but both, um, is coming from yet another uh, pretty severely um, oppressed community. Um, which is being used for comic effect. And so in much the same way that the residents of the actual village in Romania were used as a prop to sort of poke fun at the perceived poverty and perceived backwardness of this place that Borat comes from, wherever that you know may be, um, the music is also used to enhance that comedic effect. Uh, but the, the obvious problem with that is that the music is coming from a group of people who have been misrepresented for most, if not all, of their history um, and been horribly discriminated against wherever they lived. Um, and in fact, in the Borat movies, there is frequent reference to the gypsies and how you know terrible they are. Um, so there's no critique of that uh, discourse whatsoever and in fact the the music of the film and since I'm an ethnomusicologist that's the thing that stands out to me the most the music of the film I think further muddies the uh the picture when we're talking about representation and I think it further problematizes it because if you're I mean I'm not a filmmaker um I wouldn't necessarily know how to create a successful satire whatever that means but like the clarity of the point seems to be an important element here. And there is very little clarity, I think, when we're talking about all this mishmashing of um, stereotypes and representations and misrepresentations. So um, I guess the point that I wanna make is just that it's not simply the visual element, it's not even simply the um, content of the film, but it's also the music of the film that is creating this confused sort of portrayal or misrepresentation that um, skews or, or obscures, I should say, obscures the satirical intention of the film. Right. I think the mishmash is very dangerous uh, in this situation in the world where um, people, first of all, don't have enough information, accurate information, and then there's fake news, and then there's 
false representation. So when you mix up everything together, uh, it becomes very dangerous. And I want to point out uh, some of the things that are mixed up again, uh, like that debutant um, dance. It starts off similar to what a Kazakh uh, dance would start with, uh, but also then it goes a little bit more into belly dancing. And then <laughs> there is this whole notion of, I think he wears a ring that represents that maybe he's a Muslim. Uh, and in the Islamophobia stage that we have in, um, in the world, and rightly so because of some real dangers too, this movie becomes not only offensive, but uh, don't uh, really, um, uh, really, really dangerous in my opinion. And I think uh, one of the other reasons why I think so is that he's always uh, referring to Uzbekistan with a very bad name. Uh, from the name, uh, from the, his own character, which is uh, firstly completely not true. We, uh, Uzbeks and Kazakhs have been one nation until the 15th century. And, um, but we do, we, especially I think back in the day, I think we've uh, settled it now, we had some territorial disagreements and, uh, uh, you know, making stereotypes like that, it would only hurt the situation further. Um, and uh, I think from the point of view of uh, a person who lives in the States and doesn't know much about uh, uh, either politics or history of other countries, this all just makes it seem like, you know, anyone who's from abroad must be really not up to our standards, <laughs> like racist, uh, sexist, uh, xenophobic, and anti-Semitic. So this is really hurting all of us immigrants from no matter where you are, basically. And um, uh, I would like to also uh, maybe, uh, you know, Professor Sanders is going to support me in saying that uh, that uh, you know we've been. Uh, working side by side, um, I mean, working and being in war and dying for the cause against the Nazis, uh, defending the freedoms of people uh, and liberating uh, Jewish people from the camps as well, uh, you know, together with that Soviet Union um, uh, army, even though we've been um, we've been significantly, um, our population has been significantly cut by the Soviet regime through hunger, through repressions, and that gulag, the concentration camp that he shows on the, in the film where he's released from, that's all real. That's part of the history and our heritage. And if anything, we really know the suffering and the pains of being oppressed uh, so, you know, if Nazis were oppressing and killing Jews in the uh, World War II, we've been killed by Russians long time ago before the war. Uh, so this all this history there and uh, by mixing it all up together, it just becomes, uh, well, like you said, not clear for one, and secondly, uh, the prop, we've been used as a prop, but also what I am mostly, I think, afraid of is being dehumanized and 
being misrepresented, uh, basically saying that we're against certain nations. Like Kazakhs are very peaceful people. And uh, that's maybe one of the reasons he picked the country. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, all this history and all this uh, enormous heritage, I think just really proves that at the end we're all human. And uh, one of the ways to attack uh, without attacking directly is through humor. Mm -hmm. And we know that in our regular interactions that, you know, even starting with toddlers, they start by teasing each other if they want to hurt another kid. So that's kind of the psychology of human behavior. Um, I think we've covered a lot of ground and I just want to uh, give the floor to anyone who would like to address anything that we've uh, already uh, discussed uh, or just give your 30 second uh, summary of uh, what you would like to say to the world about this movie and Kazakhstan and our issues that we've discussed today. Well, yes, I have to I, I have to rush and so thank you so much for having me on. Um, the one thing I would say that the, the real lesson of this is you have to organize. And I think it's great that the Kazakh diaspora is getting its act together. I think you've, um, I commend you for organizing this and there's many more um, things that I'm seeing. Um, this is all 15 years too late. Um, this should have been happening after the first Borat movie. And I think I, I don't want to get involved in Kazakh politics because I know it's not a democratic country and there's all sorts of other things going on there. Um, but in the end, if you want to win these battles, that other countries have won, you have to do it through organizing. And I think the diaspora, particularly in countries like North America, um, in Western Europe and, and the, you know, the rich places, are the um, that's that's the battleground. So I think your resolution should be that there will not be a Borat 3. <laughs> well, there are talks about Borat 3. And to that point, thank you so much for your support. And, uh, you know, when the first movie came out, a lot of us were young and people were telling us, this is a comedy, just let it go. <laughs> and we did. So, yes, thank you, Edward. Uh, uh, yes, Professor Sanders. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just uh, tag on, on to that as, as the father of, uh, of a Kazakh who's now, you know, in his late teens. And uh, I, I think there's also, there's, there's two diasporas of, of Kazakhs in the United States. Uh, one are the, the adoptees and one of those who, who uh, moved there uh, for other reasons. And so you have this kind of, uh, in a unique, with such a small population of, of ethnic Kazakhs in the United States, you have these two unique groups, but both with something to contribute. So yeah, seconding uh, seconding Edward's point, I think um, being able to, to speak back is is the is the most important thing, right? You this was what Roman Vasilenko said back in two thousand. Uh, I think there's an opportunity today. Speak back to to Sasha Baron Cohen. The, 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 he used Kazakhstan, as you say, as his prop, um, and and let's move beyond it and and let Kazakhstan be known for being Kazakhstan with all its uh, you know with all its problems, and, but also all the great things about it. And you talked about the, the history of the country. Uh, the, the, the role of, the, of, of Kazakhs fighting in World War II. And I would say there was another side of, of World War II that the Kazakhstan is, should be represented for. And that was the place 
where a lot of Soviet people were deported to for whatever imagined crimes there were against them, whether it's Koreans, Volga Germans, Chechens, Meshkentian Turks, you name it, they ended up in Kazakhstan, which was a welcoming place, which a, a place which eventually, you know, came to really honor that diversity. And that's just the best story I think that Kazakhstan can, can tell the world. It is the exact opposite of anything that, that Borat has to say. Thank you, thank you, Robert. And I appreciate uh, you know you uh, sharing that you are a father to a Kazakh son. I think it's important. And one of the things that really motivated us, the Kazakhs uh, in the U.S., is the fact that the adoptive kids are being bullied at schools, and it's just the sense of responsibility for those kids because you know we were not fortunate enough to be able to adopt them. But we do want to make it easy for the American parents, as easy as possible, to raise them and have a happy family together. Thank you. Yes, uh, Isabel? Uh, yeah, so uh, two points. First of all, when you were talking about dehumanization, it's actually what I have written on my notes, and it's like circled <laughs> that I wanted, like, this is my main, I think, problem with this. And I think, um, if we should get away like with like one thing that was wrong with this movie is that we have to question who like why do we give uh, power and privilege to like Western creators to use like third world countries as their tools for either comedy or whatever else like uh, Sasha Baron Cohen did with Borat like for instance uh, Seth Rogen did with North Korea in the interview in 2014 like I think we have to like, hold people accountable that they cannot just use any community, of, especially of people of color in this year, in this climate for their own purposes, especially if this community is not present enough in the West and in the States to push back. North, North Korea is not present for obvious reasons. Kazakhstan is or not present. Or to represent for that matter yeah. as well, because yeah. we do have certain activities we do and they're not heard about because it's just to you know, small communities that were, you know, doing events and cultural days. It's just not yeah, and, and we're small partly because of the genocide in 1930s, which is like a very dark, uh, like reasoning to explain, like oh, like maybe because like during that time, one sort of population was killed. So maybe by, by this time, if it were actually like if it didn't happen, there would be way more Kazakhs in the states or like whatever. So I think. I truly wish that we would not allow like everyone, especially white men from the West to escape their responsibility whenever they try to create something for the sake of art. Uh, even if we think that these communities are small and they're somehow expendable for the Western culture to make their point, etc. And my second thing is that I really think that this year, thinking about actually the elections and what's happening um, four years after Trump won in 2016, I actually think that like a comedy that points out that people are bigots and racists, there is nothing groundbreaking about this anymore. We know that. We know that people are racist. We know that they're bigots. We know that like individual people, like all the like Karens and everything, that they are like not great to say the least. But this year when Black Lives Matter is fighting for institutional change, when they're marching every day, I think like just saying that, oh, like, look, some people are racist. It's like so dumb. 
like it has to be like the point has to be stronger it has to be more elaborate so for me even if i take away like my perspective as a Kazakhstani person this movie also didn't offer me enough in terms of it's like like it's it was supposed to be smart satire and I was like well in this climate and what's happening right now in the world and like what I've been seeing happening in the state was extreme polarization like political polarization where people like hate each other don't trust each other um like it's truly like horrible to witness. And Borat sort of fits into that. It sort of fits like, oh, look, like those people are bigots and like, we should never talk to them. And isn't that what got in the States in this mess sort of in the first place? I'm not saying we should forgive bigots, <laughs> but I'm saying is that radical polarization is, um, is definitely a problem. And Borat in 2020 is not part of the solution of this problem. So. All right. Thank you. I like the analysis and I think it's, it's very well said. Thank you so much. Uh, Wade, you're... Yeah, thank you. Uh, one, yeah. I really appreciate this panel and the, and the perspectives you bring it's from so many different directions. And I think they all come down to a question of respect, a question of, of not, um, uh, not putting ourselves above others. You know, the his exploration in this movie of racism and sexism, uh, shallow, not, not surprising. We still have, as has been pointed out, you know, the human race wrestles with xenophobia and racism and sexism and other things that allow me to be better than you without having to earn it and, you know, to feel good about myself on different things. I think um, I don't see this movie having a major impact. Um, in moving the ball on any of these issues uh, for a variety of reasons. I, I find it very interesting. I think it's worth watching in mind to look at the people he's trying to make a fun of and how many of them are quite kind and quite thoughtful to him, despite the amazing things that he's provoking with them. Um, but I think the usefulness of the, uh, of the film is perhaps as we, we discuss it with others, of raising the questions of, you know, where do I fit into this? Where do, where do we fit into this? What do we do? Not, not the blaming, not the finger pointing. That's easy, it's addictive. Many of us love blaming and finger pointing, um, very easy to do. But, you know, somebody once asked me, uh, what's the hardest part of being a feminist as a man? And I realized the hardest part was looking in the mirror because I didn't start here. I was not raised with women as equals. I was not, I mean, I was raised by an objectifier. I was raised in a sexist culture. Uh, I was raised in a racist culture in a nationalistic culture. Um, it's that look in the mirror is uncomfortable. And, and I hope that, um, you know, if this does anything, it, it provokes a few people to say, gosh, I, I hope I'm not like that and then really think about it. But I also think it gives us opportunity and conversation to provoke these things as well, whether it's the, you know, the belittling of an entire country through this absurdity that not everyone gets, that this is just a joke. We don't actually think Kazakhstan is like this. Well, you know, some people don't get that. Whether it's the, you know, the sexism, whatever, it gives us a chance to ask the question of respect, uh, even including the jokes he pulls on people and how respectful that might be and, and how we wish to, to align our lives um, as we think about these things. Okay, thank you so much. Yes, Megan? 
Yeah, I'll just say my um, minute, 30 seconds or a minute. Um, I've also really appreciated being on this panel. And I, I honestly don't think I could say it any better than Aiza already said it um, about, you know, the need for smarter satire than, than this. <laughs> and I also agree with Wade's point about the potential for this film to be um, kind of a teachable moment um, because it really does, uh, unfortunately, point out the fact that for satire to work, you need an educated audience. And unfortunately, we don't have that, or we don't have enough of that, I think, in the United States. It, it points out the glaring gaps in most people's knowledge about various regions of the world. Um, so if any good can come out of the Borat films, um, I hope it can be, you know, as a tool for showing people the the reality of the situation and how um, easy it can be to misrepresent um, people and nations and ethnicities and races uh, who are different than one's own and um, how damaging that can be. So right. thank you to everybody. Thank you so much, everyone. I just wanted to uh, add and comment and uh, amplify Wade's and Megan's messages um, because I think uh, in engaging uh, this in, in this type of conversations, we further analyze the situation. And I've talked to some people who were saying that, you know, it's not, uh, it's not healthy to victimize yourself uh, or it's not healthy to do finger pointing and things like that. And I, I did get the point and I did some research on that. Uh, I picked up the whole book on Adlerian psychology about that, you know, it really, um, uh, it claims that trauma doesn't exist. And uh, rightly so, it was like, okay, if you decide it's not trauma, if you decide not to be victim and take the matters in your own hands, then it's better for everyone. However, there is a very, very big difference between uh, anger, which a lot of people use as a tool to influence others, and the righteous indignation, which means you're on the right side because of the moral beliefs you have, it has nothing to do with your temper. You're not angry, um, you know, you're not angry with, you're not upset with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, but you feel righteous indignation in terms of his false portrayal and narrative that he puts in his uh, films. So I think I also want to applaud, uh, you know, the white men representation that we had on this panel, which is enlightening. And also I do want to, you know, for other men uh, of all colors to not feel guilt you know, because I feel like sometimes that's another issue about feminism, the men, uh, be, you know, having heard so much about feminism and things like that, they either shy away is because of maybe some guilt that they uh, carry around. Instead, it's better to release it and just start from scratch every new day and try to do your best to be so to speak, a better man and <laughs> to be a better champion for women's rights. Um, and like I said, no one is perfect, uh, but through these conversations, through educating each other and also being open to educate yourself, 
uh, is how we can make progress. So thank you so much. I appreciate uh, all of you so much. Uh, your articles, your hours and hours of work and research, it all means a lot. And I think, um, you know, you will see this work flourish in, in the future. Um, and I would love for us to engage in all different conversations. I am super tired of Borat conversation, to be honest. So <laughs> I'm happy today to close this topic and move on. And thank you so much for everyone who contributed. And uh, I know it's a, it's, a, it's a big battle and a long battle, like Edward was saying, that we need to be strong and organized because there could be Borat 3 coming. And uh, who knows? Uh, maybe he will actually do things that we were pointing out in the discussion today.